Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Lexum Press. This is the Lexum Press blog at blog.lexumpress.com and receive two free ebooks for subscribing to their updates. One of these is the Ephesians commentary in the EEC series, which D.A. Carson calls unquestionably the best technical commentary on Ephesians. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the co-host for this episode. And with me today, I have once again, my co-host, Matt Perman. Matt, how are you doing? Hey, doing good. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. Today has been a wonderful day. Today, we're going to talk about the intercession of Christ. And uh, so we're going to talk about things like, what is the intercession of Christ? Why is the intercessory ministry of Christ vital to the Christian life and ministry? Why has the intercession of Christ been so neglected in the church today? So, so Matt, to kick us off, if you'd like, or I can, if you'd like, uh, uh, the question is, what is the intercession of Christ? Yeah, well, I mean, this really is a neglected docu- uh, doctrine today, and it's very important. And I'd actually start from this angle. What is Jesus doing right now? Hmm. And maybe we don't think about that a lot, but he's he's still around. He's still alive. <laughs> he's alive forever. Where is he? He's in heaven. And another thing we overlook is he still has his body. He didn't stop having the body. He didn't stop being human when he ascended to heaven. So Jesus is still God and man right now as we speak forever. Mm. He will always have his body, always be human as well as divine. That is forever. So what is he doing? This is one of the chief things he is doing. He is interceding for us at the right hand of God. He is basically praying for us. And the basis, the foundation really of his prayers is his work, his death and resurrection, his saving work. The intercession of Christ is the ongoing application of that work to us. And God always hears Christ's prayers. And so it should be very encouraging to us that of all people right now, Christ himself is praying for us. And let me read a key passage on this. Romans 8, obviously, Paul's taking us to the height of God's love for us in what he has done. And he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul's giving us amazing foundations here and one of the key connections he makes is because of the intercession of christ nothing can separate us from the love of christ of course also because of his death and resurrection but also because of his intercession which flows out of and is based on the full sufficiency of his death so this is exciting stuff Dave, I'd love to hear what you have to say on the meaning of the intercession of Christ, but also can you tell us why this is so vital to understand for the Christian life and ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, think When I think of the intercession of Christ, I think of everything you said, and then um, I just like to think of how amazing it is that the Savior who bled and died in our place and for our sin, um, he summons us. 
Hebrews 4.16 says, to the throne of grace. Oh, uh, yeah. That is something that, I know you've probably heard me say that before when we talk or whatever, but uh, it just I, I just can't get over the fact that this God who in Christ, he, he died for us. He died for his people, you know, and now they can come before him. I mean, I, I don't think that we, we don't understand, I don't think the magnitude of the cost. I mean, it costs Jesus everything for for us. And so when I when I think of the intercessory ministry of Christ and that he's doing that because he's completed all of his work for us, he's doing that right now, you know, on behalf of his elect people, his beloved people, his his redeemed people. Um, you know, that's obviously not the only thing that he's doing, but you know, we're we're focusing on this aspect of it. And I mean, really one of the only places where we see this probably this doctrine the clearest is in the book of Hebrews, you know, which is which is kind of interesting because because, you know, people, a lot of people think, well, what is Hebrews written about? You know, well, we know it was written to people like First Peter that were suffering. They're facing incredible challenges, and we, we don't know who the author is, although people can speculate and postulate all they want until the, until the end of time, and they will. Um, but we don't know. But we do know very clearly that he is writing to encourage them in the face of uh, hardship, and he gives them warnings, right? He gives them warnings. It's a, it's a, it's a, in some ways, it's been called, Hebrews has been called the long longest expository sermon um, in the new te- in the Bible um, and uh, I can't remember who said that but sometimes I, I, I just can't remember I, I've read so much um, over the years but um, it's it's true it I mean he pulls from the Old Testament he's showing how everything how Jesus is better than the temple um, the rituals the sacrifices everything and how Jesus is better than everything and, and one of the central things that he does is he talks about the uh, pre- high priestly ministry of Jesus Jesus and within that his intercessory ministry on our behalf on behalf of his people and it's just such an incredible comfort uh, to God's people that that God would uh, even even bother with us that's that's a great mercy uh, that we don't deserve but that he he is interested in us and the fact that he summons us personally and intimately it, it just it boggles my mind honestly just just the thought of it that um, and 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 that is uh, you asked why is intercessory ministry vital? Well, I kind of just, in a way, I, I kind of am answering that as well. It just, it's an awe-inspiring doctrine. It's a its a doctrine that, that should cause us to worship God. Um, it should cause us to uh, grow in our understanding. Um, you know, it's not just Jesus' death in our place. It's not just the incarnation that matters. And it's not just the resurrection that matters or the sinless life of Christ. <clears throat> All of those are, are important, you know, and obviously penal substitution and the the whole lot and adoption and justification and we can go on and on with that but but we have to understand also after jesus died okay he he rose again great so what is he doing now this is what we're talking about as you said this is what jesus is doing now that that was really well said so what he's doing now on our behalf presently um you know he's pleading i like to think of it this way he's pleading the merits of his own blood the treasure of his own yeah. blood before the father i'm pretty sure i'm not the only one who said that either but that's the way i like yeah. To think about it. Um, so John Flavel, the Puritan, argues that this is essential. If Christ was not doing this, his work of redemption would not be complete because part of the purpose of it was to carry it forth into heaven before God, to carry the work he did on earth, dying and rising. 
for us into heaven before God, just as in the Old Testament, the priests, after making the sacrifice, um, would also go blood and incense within the veil. And it's astonishing how overlooked this is, Dave, given how central it is and how it's current. It's present. Yeah, We're talking about, in the already and not yet of the kingdom, we're talking about the right now. We're talking about the present. You know, we often want to focus on the future, but we're talking about now, presently, in Christ. You know, we we are in Christ. You know, that that is future, but it's also present, you know, and, and part of the re- part of this, in my mind, when you read Hebrews, which you read, he- uh, not Hebrews, Romans 31 through 39, when we're talking about how the believer is kept secure in Christ, you know, they're kept secure yeah. in him. I mean, how else are you going to pray? You know, this has massive implications, just talking about the Christian life and, and ministry. This has massive implications that, you know, when my dad came back into my life about a decade ago now and um, or so, after being gone for about six and a half years, I was studying Hebrews. I was working through it um, on a podcast, teaching through it, preaching through it, those things. And it was just so incredibly comforting, you know, um, and encouraging because I just kept going back to this. This is this is what Christ's ministry is now. Like like I had been I've been through seminary. I actually took a class in seminary on Hebrews. But just working through Hebrews is so it's uh, uh, I think in a lot of ways Hebrews might be one of the most important books in the New Testament just because of its Christological focus. Um, and and it and it not only talks about it talks about things in such a way because of the way that it talks about how Jesus is better. And the sufficiency of Christ over everything and all of that. Um, that that's kind of why I would argue it's one of the most important. Not that they're all not important, but there are decidedly books that have made more of an impact. And I think yeah. that Hebrews should should definitely be, I would argue it should be in the top five for a pastor to Dave, preach on. I would just want to put third John in first way. Um, no, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> um, or maybe the book of Jude. Um, that's a great point that you're saying. I, I, uh, I'd be on board with that. Hebrews in the top five, uh, because it is all about the sufficiency of Christ. Wow. I love Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he's able also to save them to the uttermost, all who come to God through him, because he lives always to make intercession for them. So again, it's another statement telling us what Christ is doing now and connects his intercession to our perseverance in the faith. He's able to save forever those who come to God through him because he lives to make intercession for them. Another neat thing is to think this means Christ knows who you are. I think sometimes we can turn our faith, we can just get too abstract about it. And in part, that's understandable because we can't see Christ with our eyes in front of us. And that's tough, frankly. And we can forget He's, he's he's thinking of us now. He knows all of us by name. He knows what's happening. He hears our prayers. They probably affect how he prays in heaven. He also probably also prompts us to pray a lot and moves us to pray. Um, but I found it helpful to think like when he returns or when we die, we'll see him face to face. And you want to encounter him as someone you've really been talking to, really been praying to, really been interacting with through your whole life. A lot of times when we fall into an overly abstract view of the faith, we pray, yeah, we know we're praying to God through Christ, but sometimes we're just, it just doesn't really hit us that he's listening. He, if he was here in person, we could talk with him about our prayers or our life events. Hey, remember when this happened, when that happened? We could have a real conversation, and that's going to happen at the end. It's not seeing him for the first time. It is physically, but it's not interacting with him for the first time. When we see him again, we will be 
meeting up with our Savior who we've been living for and praying to throughout our whole lives. And that's just, it really personalizes the faith. It personalizes things. And I think also helps make our faith real and keeps it from becoming mere intellectual. I think it's also helps with assurance, helps us to see that our faith is real. If we are, for example, glad about the idea that we will get to see Christ face to face and we'll have a history with him that we could talk about. So what, what are your thoughts on all that, Dave? No, I'm, I'm, I'm down with you on that for sure. I agree. You know, because of all this, you know, God, it totally refutes the idea that God is not disinterested. So, so even, let's make this a little more practical, you know, because, you know, let's say there's Bible counselors, pastors, biblical counselors, pastors listening to this are like, okay, that's great. But what does that mean for me? For, for ministry, even the, even the lay person, what does that mean? Well, it means that when you're going through a trial, when you're facing um, a person that's going through somebody, you can use this to, it's incredibly, uh, an incredible tool that God has given to us um, to comfort and encourage one another. Uh, for example, for example, let's say let's say somebody is facing financial challenges, or or even um, they're they're facing marital issues. Well, um, they're facing discouragement. Well, they have a we have a, a savior because of all that Christ has done and is finishing sufficient work. He is not disinterested in us. He he invites us. He he invites us to personal communion with Himself um, yeah. for those who have union with Himself. You know, Amen. Um, you know. Well, and that- we think of Hebrews 4, right? Um, in 16, we don't have high priests. And by the way, part the, the intercession of Christ is part of his high priestly ministry, part of his priestly ministry. Uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then he explicitly connects it to Christ's intercession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he's there for us. He understands. You know, and that is so helpful, because so many times when we're going through trials, one of the hardest parts is other people don't understand. We, for all the times we may feel like we haven't been listened to or understood the way that we would really serve us and comfort us in our difficulties, Christ always does that. Christ always understands perfectly. He's never judgmental. It's it's really cool. It doesn't mean he doesn't have high expectations or require obedience to his commands, but he understands our weaknesses and he gets the difference between a non-moral weakness and a sin. You know, I mean, like, for example, we get tired and we can say, Lord, this is frustrating to me. I'm really tired and can't get a break. And he doesn't say, well, just fuck it up and do it. His attitude is, you're right. I know I'm, it's a fallen world. It's, um, it's, it's, it's even, it's too bad. I mean, he has real empathy and sympathy for us. We can even say to him, hey, it's hard to follow your commands. Who wants honesty from us? Now, obviously we are to obey him and we are to realize his commands are what's best. They are more joyful. Uh, but it's okay to admit it, this is hard. And he gets that. That's not justification to set aside his commands or the difficult ones. But it is legit and human to just, just say directly to him, this is tough stuff. And I think that actually aids our sanctification. Yeah. Yep, it does. It helps us to have a foundation for, for to understand even what James talks about. You know, to consider it all joy when we face trials, um, when we face challenges. How how are we going to do that? Well, huh, the the reason that it's so 
eminently practical is, is just for that reason. If you begin to see Christ interceding for you on your behalf and understanding that, you're going to be able to face trials not in your own strength, but in the strength of Christ. You're going to be able to yeah. face whatever is coming your way, you know. And and that's why I think it's so important to understand this and, and why it's such a shame, you know, frankly, that this isn't taught on more, that there's not more books uh, written on this. It's so, it's so incredibly, uh, the more that we think about this and the more that we understand it, uh, you know, as we study Hebrews, for example, um, we we just, it'll it'll help your prayer life. It'll help you in, in so many different ways. Trials, talked about that. Um, it'll help you in your spiritual growth um, and your understanding of the gospel. Be able, you'll be able to be more skillful in administering to other people um, who are facing trials. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, doctor, uh, the, guess what I'm saying is this doctor is eminently practical and has application all across the board for, for I hope listeners are seeing that it has application in for all of your life personally and for your ministry. So, yeah. um, so we've kind of been kicking around uh, all three of these questions with the last question that we have here today is why has the intercession of Christ been so neglected in the church today? That's that's such a good question, Dave. And my first answer is actually, I don't know, but I have some guess. And part of it is it falls on teachers and pastors for not emphasizing this doctrine and not teaching. I mean, when have you heard a sermon on the intercession of Christ? By the way, John Flavel, the Puritan, has a great, I don't know if it's an article or even a book, it's on monergism, monergism.com, you find it, uh, on the intercession of Christ. It's called The Intercession of Christ, Our High Priest. And it's just fast, fantastic, and... Uh, so there is there is a solid body of teaching on the intercession of Christ in the church. And Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology or any other systematic theology is going to have a chapter on the intercession of Christ. But for some reason, we're not preaching on it, teaching on it in churches to the extent we should. And that's a big reason it's neglected. But deeper question is even why, why isn't it being taught so much or preached so much? And I just wonder if part of it, I could totally be wrong here because I know this is, a ten- this is a tendency I have too, but we can over intellectualize our faith. I am not in the slightest against the intellect. I think we need to give a higher place to the Christian mind in Christianity and in our thought. We disparage the mind. Oh, and it's terrible. But when I say over-intellectualize, I mean kind of be more in the arena of doctrinal content and not as much in the heart and experiential side of things. And the Puritans were great at being experiential theologians and saying they go together. They, they are not to be separated. That's a false separation. And Jonathan Edwards uh, was one of the best to address this. And, and I just wonder if this is because of our experience of Christ is not what it should be. And so I think we should take this, all of us should take this as an encouragement to get to know Christ better. And part of how you do that is by re- just remembering he's real. He's alive today. He has thoughts. He has opinions. Um, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians seven, Paul talks about, you know, Paul has an opinion there. There he's talking about singleness in marriage. He has a point of view. And he says, this is my opinion. Yet he even kind of seems to say this is God's opinion, but it's not sin if you do it. So we don't have to worry about having all of our I's crossed and T's or I's dotted and T's crossed before Christ. He might have an opinion on uh, certain things that are morally neutral, just matters of wisdom. And you're still free to do anything within the bounds of what he has commanded in scripture but just thinking of him as a re- real person as he is who has 
thoughts and opinions and like our prayers are not robotic things that just go up and don't get heard they actually get heard and that means he has a viewpoint on what he's hearing like he and he cares about us and what we're saying I, I think all of us can do better to remember that and as we do we get to know Christ better yeah I'd actually what so neglect, yeah I, I agree with you um, it falls back to pastors <laughs> It falls back to ministry leaders. Um, in some ways, I think this is the missing um, piece in the gospel-centered discussion, um, huh. where we wow. where we talk so much about you know the indicative what Christ has done, um, and then we talk about we talk about you know what Christ commands the imperative. But what we forget about, I think, um, and this this might be a little bit of an overgeneralization, maybe perhaps, but what. I mean, you look at guys like John Owen and John Flavel, and you look at guys like Calvin and, you know, we, Spurgeon and those guys, and, you know, we quote them um, with with some authority in, you know, our circles, and, and that's well and good, you know, they're great Bible teachers, but, you know, they taught on these things, you know, <laughs> we, we look at a guy like John Owen, and he had massive volume, on, uh, so, several volumes on Hebrews, you know, uh, some people would say... Some people would say that, um, you know, Owen was, uh, I mean, everything that Owen wrote about was amazing. You know, there's a reason why he's considered such a dense and intelligent theologian. But I mean, his commentaries on Hebrews are considered like his, some of his masterpieces. And, you know, they're, they're absolutely rich. They're, you know, excellent. Even today, they're solid. They're relevant practical they're full of real help and you know somebody like that spent a considerable time in the book of hebrews and and talked about these things and um i can't help but wonder if that that didn't that didn't shape his his thinking i know that it it certainly has for me like just like i've said in 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 ministry in writing i mean when i go through when i'm preaching the gospel myself where am i where am i going well i'm not going to jesus's death not that that's not important but i'm talking i'm talking to myself more about you know the intercession of christ christ is living t- right now he is pleading my case, my cause before the Father on my behalf, um, you know, and he is my advocate. You know, there, there's nothing that I can do that, that he doesn't already know, um, that he doesn't already see. You know, he sees through us. Um, and, and because of all this, he, he cares. So as I'm, as I'm thinking about preaching the gospel through to myself, I'm going to this. Like, I'm going to this place of the intercession of Christ because why? Well, this is what he's doing right now. Even even as we're talking and the, our listeners are listening, he is interceding for us right now. Present present tense, not future yeah. tense. Present tense. Yeah. You know, before the Father on our behalf. You know, we didn't even talk about the av- Jesus's ministry as advocate, but I think that the intercessory of of Christ and his advocacy is is absolutely interlinked, and we see that in. Uh, in first john 2 1 where he is our advocate you know what does an advocate do well in this sense it's a legal it's legal representation before the father our father in heaven uh, because of his finished and sufficient work you know for us and you know that's where he is he is interceding because he is our advocate before the father that that is what i'm arguing right now it's amazing yeah you're exactly right he advocates for us this is a part of what intercession means and Flavel goes into this. He's for you, as Paul says in Romans 8, and he's advocating for you. And even when we 
sin, how does he advocate for our sin? For our forgiveness, that God would be gracious for it, to us and forgive us, which is on the basis of his death and resurrection. Uh, we have the most incredible possible advocate, the king of the universe, God himself. That's so encouraging, especially because here on earth, a lot of times we don't seem to have an advocate. Or The book of James talks about uh, the some of the wealthy in his day would drag the poor into court. And if you're poor and you're dragged to court, that's really bad news. How are you going to afford a lawyer? So how are you going to protect yourself against injustice? And while we may not always have an advocate, even in the strict legal sense here on earth, we have an advocate in heaven who is perfectly just and who knows exactly what we need and advocates for us. This is just amazing stuff. It's really cool. I would encourage people to read more, check out the chapter in Grudem's Systematic Theology, look up John Flavel's work on this. It's at monergism.com and learn more about this and remember to meditate on it. Let this uh, soak in. Let this uh, impact you. That's a, that's a good place to end. Good stuff. Yeah, good stuff, Dave. Uh, thanks so much. This was fun. Yeah, definitely. It was. I'd like to thank Lexham Press for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit blog.lexampress.com to receive a free commentary on Ephesians and a great book on preaching, both free for subscribing to their updates. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.